Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is brought to you by GrownBuy. Join farmers from across the U.S. who are selling direct on the first cooperatively owned sales app, GrownBuy. You can easily manage CSAs of any scale, organize your spring plant sales, move that freezer meat, or even sell wholesale on GrownBuy. Farm shops are free to build with lots of inventory options. You can accept credit cards and offline payments, and their pick lists and pack sheets do the job. Customers will get automated notifications on orders, refunds, and pickups. There is no startup fees, no monthly or yearly subscriptions, no additional charge for tech support. The only cost is a small co-op service charge for online processing. However, as a listener of the Thriving Farmer podcast, you get 50% off your first three months of co-op service charges on GrownBuy. Email their very friendly farmer support team at grow at farmgenerations.coop to get this offer. Check it out at grownby.com or download the app on the Google Play or Apple App Stores. GrownBuy, the farmer-owned marketplace. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today, my guest is Matthew Carr, or Matt, who's the owner and production manager of Linden Lane Farms, a diversified organic market garden and nursery that focuses on production, research, and education. Along with managing the farm's day-to-day operations, Matthew is the lead agrologist for Cultivate Horticulture, which provides innovative tools, technology, and equipment, as well as horticulture agronomy consultation for both hobbyists and commercial producers. He has a passion for farming and innovation and is on a mission to inspire the next generation of growers faced with future challenges of food production. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Yeah. And you and I uh, connected, I don't know how many years ago it was when you joined our small farm university. Yeah. um, I think we actually chatted back before as well when like the market garden success group was like first finally Ah. kind of growing Mm -hmm. on Facebook too. So it's been yeah, it's been almost 10 years, I think, that we've been in touch. Yeah. And at the first, you were finishing up. Well, I think you had, hadn't gone to university yet, and then you were at university, and then you graduated. I think that's how, but when we first met you, were you already in a university or? Yeah, I was just starting. I think okay. it was like a year before university. I was like on the fence about, do I go into mm-hmm. more of an academia side for agriculture, or do I just fully commit to the farm? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about like, what was the farm like at that point? Uh, well, at that point, uh, like I started the farm in uh, summer of grade 11. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of, uh, I was interested in plant propagation and I was growing, I had a backyard nursery and, and our family farm was kind of going through some difficult times with some meat regulation changes in our province. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the farm was just kind of sitting there empty and, my dad was tired of people driving down our kind of private household driveway thinking that we were some big garden center. Mm. Um, and so he kind of kicked me out to the farm there because there was water and land. And I also knew that if we were going to compete with like garden centers, I needed to grow bigger plants. Mm. And actually that year we accidentally kind of had some extra land left over and a local garden center was ending their season's business. And it was $20 for a pickup truck load of plants. And I think I did two or three trips with my sister and we loaded up the rest of this hundred by hundred garden full of squash, tomatoes, watermelons, whatever. They weren't in the greatest of shape, but mm. at the end of that year, leaving to 
start school in September and, and start hockey in a neighboring town. I left my family with thousands of pounds of produce. And after that, we started looking into it more as a business because as much as I love plant propagation and nursery, it was uh, really difficult in the first couple of years to kind of get the cash flow and sit on inventory for two or three years or sell out plants when they're mm -hmm. too young. And then you just don't have the supply for the next three or four years ahead of you. So we looked into annual vegetable production as a means of being able to adapt quicker and our soils and our climate are really um, suited for growing vegetables. It's quite dry. We've got really sandy soil. Um, I was also blessed with having a livestock, livestock operation on the farm for pretty much 30 years before that. So we had access to compost and the soil was pretty good to start with. There wasn't a lot of trees on the property. And yeah, we're quite, quite blessed with the property we got up in Cristova. Mm -hmm. I think there is a challenge, a little bit of a challenge with water, correct? Yeah. So we're still uh, like Cristova is a very water insecure community. It's mm -hmm. an old Dukabor settlement and they used to grow amazing crops up here on the top bench. But uh, as the communities continue to grow, there's more and more houses and it's putting more strain on the community system. Mm -hmm. We're lucky that we have a well, but it's 500, 600 feet deep. Um, and when you've got livestock on the farm and it's 40 degrees in the summer, you can just watch the sprinklers drop down as soon as all the cattle come in for a quick drink. And um, that's our biggest hurdle right now. And we've looked mm. into, we've actually expanded operations to allow us to lease farms so that we can increase and save up some capital so we can improve uh, an irrigation project on the farm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about originally, what got you interested in farming? I was plant propagation. It was like a grade eight science project. We got cuttings very similar to like willows. I, I I can't remember the specific crop at the time, but we were just looking at how the cells de-differentiated and started growing roots off of stems. And mm -hmm. I really got interested in the plant physiology side of things. And that's kind of what led into the propagation business. And then the propagation business kind of led into vegetables. And I still try our best to produce as much as we can for like our edible nursery. Um, we do outsource some of the products just because of our timeline and and how demand has grown so quickly. Um, but that was my big passion was how humans can influence plants in different ways. And so that's why I really like horticultural agronomy is like we influence the climate, the water, the soil, the nutrition, all of those different aspects and how we can produce plants and food. And yeah, looking at it on like a microscopic cellular level, I love seeing how the cells can rearrange themselves and the hormonal aspects. And I can really get into kind of that nerdy side as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you got started in that, you started the nursery, started moving into the more of the vegetables. And uh, when did you start going to farmer's markets? Uh, I went to farmer's markets and I think our second year, we were doing some like garden plant sales in the spring. Like there was like garden festivals locally, mm -hmm. but uh when I started doing the farmer's markets with the vegetables, there was quite a waiting list to get into the local market in Nelson. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's an amazing farmer's market. And we're so lucky to have such an amazing community that supports it. But being a, a high, high schooler starting to grow vegetables, I had to really prove myself. And so that first year, while I wasn't allowed to be a full-time vendor, it was only like a drop-in, I, I got to learn um, how to do the farmer's markets because there was a local restaurant just down the hill from the farm that we were selling to. And 
they were open to me setting up a tent every Sunday morning in the in their parking lot. And I, I learned how to engage with customers. And I still look back on those photos and what was I doing? But mm-hmm. it was still a, a great, amazing opportunity for just a young guy to start interacting with people. And, and I was quite shy um, in high school and whatnot. And it really brought out uh, a new layer of, of my ability to communicate with people and food and plants. So I'm very lucky that we got that opportunity and yeah, that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So what does the sales for the farm look like now? Like what is the the sales model? Um, so we're structured still mainly around farmer's markets. We do mm-hmm. three farmer's markets a week, uh, two in Nelson and one in Kalskar. Um, Those are about 30 minutes drive from, from our main farm. So we're quite lucky that we're right kind of between both of them. Um, which has also put in other challenges about doing two farmers markets on a Saturday and half an hour between each kind of thing and learning the logistics of that. Um, but we also sell through wholesale. So we've got an expanding list of grocers and small retailers that we sell products uh, like our salad mix and cucumbers and carrots. Um, and then we've also um, expanded to have a farm stand. So we've experimented now and we're doing the self-checkout farm stand and we're uh, really impressed. We just opened that in December of this year, which mm. is not typical timing, but due to some building stuff, we weren't able to get it open during the peak season. So it's it's been really exciting to see how that's grown over the winter where traditionally not a lot of produce is available in our area locally. So um, those are our three main I would say Mm -hmm. also on top of that, in the spring, we do like the whole month of May is our big plant sale. Um, That's where we do everything edible. We're the largest edible nursery in our area Um, from berries, fruit trees, veggie starts, herbs, edible perennials. Uh, We also start shipping, uh, started shipping products all across Canada as well. Um, And then in the fall, our kind of keystone event has been our pumpkin fest. Um, and that's an amazing way that the community comes out to the farm and celebrates farming and food in the fall, gets to pick out their own pumpkin, kind of see our livestock, kind of see what rural life's about. Last year, we uh, added a few extra vendors to pumpkin fest and uh, we saw over 5,000 people visit our farm over four days. And I'm still blown away by how that's grown over the last three years from just a couple hundred pumpkins to having to buy in extras and our produce stall is like four or five tenths long and just bring out macro bins of squash. And it's an amazing event. I just, it's, it's, I just love having the community come to the farm. Very cool. All right. So let's break that down a little bit because you've, you said a lot there. Um, what is your crop mix? Um, and let, I want to, yeah, I want to break it down between the different sales, uh, avenues. Sure. So yeah, that farmer's markets, what's the main products you're selling? I know you are doing your, uh, your transplants there, but I'm assuming you're doing vegetables as well. Yeah. Um, like the, for the farmer's market, I think we've got close to 80 different crops that we produce. And within that, of course, all many different cultivars, um, but we're doing like the standard tomato, cucumber, um, pepper, eggplant kind of in the greenhouses. And then uh-huh. we're doing field production where we're doing watermelons, sweet potatoes, sweet corn, beans, broccoli, cabbage, turnips, carrots, you name it, pretty much every vegetable. Um, yep. When I first started out, it was an experiment. And so we grew everything we could. I've done okra. Uh, last year we tried uh, globe artichokes and, and, uh, loofah gourds, I think. And it's just been, 
Yeah, it's an experiment. And as the business has grown, we've learned that we need to scale back and not grow the cauliflowers or Brussels sprouts because they just don't do as well mm-hmm. with the pests in our crop plan. And and yeah, it's just something that the customers aren't really eager for. Whereas we can produce as many cucumbers or as much garlic as we can. And there's just never seemed to be an end to the demand. So, mm-hmm. um, and then at the, like, that's the, that's pretty much the, the, whole gist of the farmer's market is just all of our fresh produce. Um, we do a little bit of cut flour that we do through the farmer's market as well. Um, the wholesale list is quite small and that's because I've really focused on how we can structure, um, like the wholesale quantities and keeping up with consistency because when you start dealing with grocery stores, it's a different beast. You, you don't get the opportunity to have too many crooked cucumbers when you send them to farmer's market versus a grocery store. So, um, that list is much smaller. And, and one of our big keystone crops is our salad mix and the long English cucumbers. Um, mm-hmm. We produce a lot of salad mix. We're just so lucky with the little bit of rain that we get it keeps off most of the foliar diseases. And we, as long as we've got enough water, we can produce lettuce all year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so now you are doing some shipping, you said nation or, or Canada wide. Um, what kinds of things are you shipping? Um, so right now we're just doing. Um, perennials and bare root crops. Okay. Um, so like strawberries and raspberries, blackberries, um, Jerusalem artichokes, um, yeah. things, things of that nature that ship relatively easy. Um, we've tried looking into shipping more of like the potted stock, but yeah, our costs in Canada with shipping is just too prohibitive. It's even really difficult for us to be sending products like, uh, say sweet potato slips any farther than Saskatchewan or Manitoba, just because of the delay. Like we get a mm-hmm. lot of interest from Ontario and Quebec, but it's just to pay for a two or three day shipping is just not feasible. And then if you're sending sweet potato slips and they're taking over seven days, most, most of the time they're rotting. So we've yeah. really learned how to, how to limit that. And that's why we stick to more the dormant crops in the spring. And in the fall, when we're finishing out the garlic crop, we send seed garlic across Canada as well. So another mm-hmm. one that can ship and doesn't have to worry too, too much about desiccation. Yes. Yeah. That's the nice thing about garlic is it can last a while in the mail. Um, and then talk about this farm stand. So uh, you didn't get it open till the winter. Was that because of like government stuff trying to get it open or just you weren't able to get it opened or? There was p- partly with permitting and like getting power to it. Um, there's still... A lot of work to go on. Um, there was also issues with just trying to find doors and windows. Mm. Um, there's weeks waiting. I think our to get the doors was like 12 to 14 weeks just to get a pre-framed door into our region. Um, we were lucky. We just drove four and a bit uh, four and a bit hours away and were able yeah. to find one at a local Home Depot that worked. But uh, again, it's one of those things that we we start preparing for the pumpkin fest in early August um, just to prepare for where the straw is going and, and how are we going to set up parking and to try and open the farm stand during that time was just a little bit too much. Yeah. And so yeah. we had the structure almost done out, but it was, uh, it was interesting. Like I, I'm still got a little bit of painting to do in the farm stand. I won't lie. We were just finishing mudding up the the drywall about a day before we had to open because we did Christmas trees and hand tied wreaths yeah. as well mm-hmm. this year. So we were kind of limited on uh, our timing for that. So December, fifth came around and it was like, we have to be open and we got it done. So it's still got a lot of work to go, but I'm, I'm really excited about that. 
Absolutely. Um, so what do you, what's your goals with that? Are you hopefully going to see that do more and more of your income? How far are you from the, I mean, I think you said you were like 30 minutes from your markets. Yeah, it's about 30 minutes or 35 kilometers. Um, so it's, it's been difficult for local people that live in our neighborhood in like the community of Crestova yeah. or Crescent Valley to drive all the way into town. And the farmer's markets the last couple of years have, have uh, well, with COVID and stuff, it it changed how the atmosphere was. And some other farmers have dropped out and, and different reasons. We've really become extremely busy uh, at the mm. farmer's market. And we've had lineups, uh, 45 minutes to get into our stalls. We have to set up like barricades to keep people out an hour before yeah. we set up. Yeah. Um, and so it's a lot of stress when you've got three employees employees and two tills going and one person just on stocking just to try and keep up with like a six hour market. And so we're hoping that this farm stand helps alleviate that and also provide the community with year round options. Because once the farmer's market closes and it starts snowing, it's pretty difficult for us to be doing outdoor farmer's markets. So this has given us a great opportunity to sell onions and carrots and those storage crops, but also as we build more tunnels, experiment with winter growing and and lettuce and spinaches and stuff like that. Um, so it's been, it, I, I think it's really going to grow. We're, we're going to have to find some new um, techniques when it comes to like plant sale being open pretty much yeah. every day. Um, yeah. And then having that staffed and how it's going to impact with pumpkin fest as well, because we've got the farm stand, but Obviously, we can't see 5,000 people come through this little farm stand. So there'll be a little bit of learning, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, everyone that I've talked to in the community that's come out to it has been really excited. Um, there's other businesses that are also intrigued by it. Little pizza shops in town wouldn't mind throwing a couple of frozen pizzas in a freezer in the farm stand mm -hmm. just for mm -hmm. the local communities. Come pick up and bake at home or or uh, uh, there's a barbecue shop there that's interested in uh, working with us with livestock so we could probably have value-added livestock products in the freezer as well. And um, yeah, it's 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 a tremendous opportunity. And, and hearing feedback from other local growers that are in smaller communities than us um, and their successes the last two or three years with it to the point that they've dropped their CSAs or stopped coming farmer's markets is really exciting. It's just another opportunity for us to provide more food. Not saying that we're getting out of farmer's markets anytime soon because I still love it and bringing food to people is definitely a, a convenience factor mm -hmm. um, in our region. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited about where this farm stand can, could lead to. Yeah. And remind, one thing I just realized is the name of your farm is actually a tree. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so Linden Lane Farms, um, we just actually after 10 years planted our first Linden tree along the lane. Um, so the name came from a little bit of commemoration of my family. Um, so all the the women in our family are named after trees. My grandmother's Willow. I've got a great aunt Laurel and Heather uh, and Cherry. Uh, my sister is Lene, which is Latin, I believe, for lime. Uh, I've got a cousin or a great. Uh, I've got an aunt Linden and a cousin Cypress and Rowan. So the tree aspect before it kind of became a trendy naming topic has been a long-standing in our family and my grandmother growing up on a, a houseboat in Santula on Vancouver Island, um, not really accessing farming and land, always loved linden trees. And she dreamed that the big long straightaway on the farm was going to be lined with linden trees to her house. 
And uh, when I started farming, I kind of took up part of that field where she had mm-hmm. dreamed to put the linden trees. And so now looking at, oh, well, if we're going to plant a linden tree that grows 50, 60 feet tall, that might take up a little bit too much light. And so we've been working through where we're going to put them. So right beside the farm stand is where our first official linden tree is. Um, also having livestock is also another issue. So if I had mm-hmm, planted mm-hmm. out any linden trees, they would have been wiped out years ago. So um, now that we've kind of separated the cattle and the goats and the sheep from the main part of the, the farm stand and the greenhouses, we can start kind of farmscaping and planting out some more stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk through team because you have a you have a lot going on. Yeah. How do you how do you break up the different aspects of the farm? Um, so right now, uh, Linden Lane Farms, like I'm the production manager, so I myself am in charge of like the business and planning and sales side. So I'm the one that contacts the grocery stores. Uh, work on the planning um, and all the businessy gross stuff that I didn't want to do when I started farming. I love the mm-hmm. farm aspect, but as the farms continue to grow, I'm more and more in the office. Um, in addition to that, we had to hire a farm administrator. <clears throat> okay. Um, so the farm administrator is in charge of like keeping up with our bookkeeping, our organic record keeping, the, those kind of more paperwork tasks she also helps out with the website ordering and and uh keeping up with payroll which Mm -hmm. gives me a lot more time in the summer Uh, we've also got a field manager um and thomas has been with us for a couple years he's uh in charge of the field crops and kind of scheduling out his situation with uh, farm hands and transplanting and crop care making sure he's up to date with his direct seeding and then we've got a greenhouse manager. And so they're responsible for the greenhouse and high tunnel crops mm-hmm. and the seeding and propagation on the farm. So that includes like our plant sale, but also for the transplants that are going out to the field. Um, and then they kind of manage our greenhouse workers. And uh, we've also got a harvest supervisor position. Um, they are in charge of like order fulfillment. So an order comes in from a grocery store. I communicate to the harvest supervisor and then they go ahead and kind of get it ready for whichever truck or whichever cooler um, is supposed to go do it. And they also work with the managers on farm hands and greenhouse workers who are harvesting those type of products. And so we work gotcha. as a pretty good leader to leadership team between the, the harvest supervisor and the two other managers to how are we going to move our pool of labor throughout the farm, depending on the season, depending on what we're doing. Um, we've also got market lead, Um, And so that position is responsible for like attending the farmer's markets with myself. Um, They also run their own farmer's market on the the Saturday when I'm in Nelson there in Kalskar, as well as like keeping up with the supplies and and, uh, making sure we got pints and the tablecloths are in the truck and things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And then farmhands, we do four to eight seasonal full-time farmhands. We're not part of the temporary foreign worker program yet. Um, So we hire local uh, which has been fun and and uh, we get a lot of young aspiring farmers that want to work on our farm but uh, it's definitely difficult with land prices and renting being a difficult thing in our, our area to secure long-term uh, farmhand so we kind of get a, a rotation through mm-hmm. um, but they're responsible for like the day-to-day tasks like um, following transplanting and weeding and harvest and crop care and then this year we've specialized two farmhands just into greenhouse workers. So they're going to be more dedicated to keeping up with pruning um, and 
potting up and those type of things, those type of tasks. So that's pretty much the breakdown of our team. I've got a, quite a structure of how we communicate with each other. Cause like you said, there's a lot going on at any one time. Yeah. Um, that's just the one business, right? So. Yeah. 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 And then you've got a bunch of other businesses on top of that. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, so then, all right. So you got the business manager, let's uh, talk through. So you're, and you're doing most of the sales then too. Yeah. Um, like it's been, it's been one of the hardest things that I've found to delegate because I really enjoy creating the relationships and maintaining those relationships. Um, and so when, I'm at farmer's market and I'm hearing feedback from our consumers. That's, that's like the most valuable, like information I can take into planning and all those type of things. It's just been a really difficult one for me to kind of let go. And I've been trying, my, my managers are encouraging me to let go of some tasks and help delegate some things, but yeah, the sales part, I, I really pride myself in the relationships I've built. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, the horticulture side or like the growing, what kind of like, what systems are you using? What's the different equipment that you use to make everything run? Sure. Um, we've got three different production systems that I, I like to label on the farm. So we've got our protected culture. So that's our mm-hmm. greenhouses and high tunnels. Um, in those, it's mostly hand tools and, and keeping up with uh, like trellising and um, so we're growing, um, as I mentioned, cucumbers and tomatoes are two really big greenhouse crops yep. um, for peak season, but also peppers, eggplants. Uh, we do early season carrots and and uh, experimented this last year with more winter growing with kales and baby greens and green onions mm-hmm. and such. Um, and so that's, like I said, in soil, mostly hand work, um, pretty high density, um, trying to make make up the the profit on on those high value crops and then um for kind of the field production we've got two main systems so we do um relatively large scale plastic culture um so being on a really really sandy soil and having Mm -hmm. quite a bit of weed pressure from having livestock for years and years and years um we we chose to to go with plastic mulch and we built ourselves our own plastic mulch layer um, off of some YouTube videos, my oh, dad, cool. my dad's a pretty, pretty handy guy to have around the farm. And, uh, we used to do it by hand too. And, and using drip irrigation underneath there, um, it's just, it allows us to produce so much more food. And, and like, we have an ethical dilemma on our hands for how much plastic we do use on the farm, but without it, the crop just wouldn't survive in the sand and uh, it holds in moisture, keeps down the weeds, improves our soil temperatures, keeps the crop clean. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I quite like it, but as the the farm is scaling up, um, we're, we're, we're kind of in this hard, awkward spot because plastic culture doesn't work with a lot of like the carrots and, and radishes and those kind of quicker crops. Yeah. It's yeah. more for the longer term stuff. Like uh, we do our corn in it and watermelons and sweet potatoes and broccolis. Um, the larger stuff that we can kind of use a tractor and utilize like large harvests. Um, and then our third production method is more of our intensive bed system. Um, and so we're using a BCS with a traditional 30 inch bed top and roughly 18 inch walkway. Mm-hmm. And we're using that to grow like our arugula, our greens, our turnips, our radish, uh, bunching carrots. Uh, beets, the, those quick season, quick turnover crops, the ones that we're also not producing, like say a 300 foot bed where our 
beds are set at uh, 80 for intensive beds and 280 mm-hmm. for our really big fields. Well, it depends okay. on the field and depends on the lease, but those are kind of where our numbers have been. It's always almost been a 80 foot bed because our yep. fields are about a hundred feet long. Um, and so that's, that's how we kind of crop schedule as well. So if we can plant out a whole bed of something, it's better than having all these little chunks of beds through these really, really long fields. So absolutely. Um, and yeah. we use like traditional broad fork and uh, try our best to use a power harrow and reduce our tillage usage in that intensive system. And so I would say between those three, it's a, it's kind of a hybrid mosaic because it depends on the crop too. Like as carrot production has had to increase in our area and our production has increased, we've learned a lot about like, how do we cultivate? And so we've got a till more walk behind. Um, we've got a bunch of wheel hose and, and things like that as we're looking into to more of a row cropping style in one of our leases to yeah. maximize our production because like carrots, we don't need a walkway down each row. We're going to grow these carrots out for whatever, hundred days. They're going to be our nice fall bulk carrots and we're just going to Pac-Man harvest it. So we don't need to like access the crop. And so we've been wasting a lot of space and walkways. So that mm-hmm. will be a, a really exciting thing because I think we can increase our carrot production by 30% without... Mm without expanding the land use that we're going to be using it. And that's just based off of getting rid of those walkways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This year we did our salad mix in the tunnels in our hoop houses, Pac-Man style. Um, and that worked out just fabulously. Um, I didn't realize how easy that would work out and just how productive that would be. Um, we did on, on fabric in the greenhouse because um, that runs longer into the winter. Yeah. Um, but I think we could probably just go back to Pac-Man style on all of that. It just, it really, even out in the field. Low. Well, in, in the big greenhouses. And I would like to think that I could do it on, um, I would like to think that I could do it in the field. Um, I don't see why we couldn't, we've gone to BCS for a lot of that. So I think we could just, you know, BCS and then just plant straight across that and get away with just fine with that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I really like that. And again, we're starting to run out of land on our farm too. So we're always trying to figure out, okay, where else can we um, do land? One of the problems we're facing is we're putting in a lot of perennial fruits like blueberries and raspberries and blackberries. And you got all those drive paths, those um, paths between them, which don't get any, they just tend to grow perennial sod. Yep. And unfortunately, perennial sod doesn't make us a lot of money. Yeah, no, we just established uh, our research orchard and kind of a propagation material orchard. And I'm having that same dilemma as like, I want to make sure that my tractor can get through and mow that. But at the same time, it's like, it's such a wasted space on half mm-hmm. an acre. It's just all yeah. grass. I'm not used to that. Yeah. So what we're trying to thinking of doing is, I don't know exactly what we're doing with those perennial fruits. I think in our general fields, we may just start doing more larger plantings of things just going straight across because if, especially if we're not mechanically cultivating if we're cultivating with just the different small things we can just get away with planting straight across the field um especially if we could eliminate planting um uh, the plastic cu- culture because i mean with stra- we do a lot of strawberries too so that's the other problem is how do we you know maximize the field and be able to plant strawberries too. And uh, one of the things we did is we interplanted the strawberries with lettuce. So we'll plant a row of lettuce down the middle of the bed of, stra- of strawberries. And that seems to work just fine. And we don't seem to have any reduction in yields. Um, 
but yeah, uh, maximizing, you know, this, the, every square foot of the farm is something that I think so many people haven't quite gotten there yet. Yeah. And, and like, we've been restrained by our water use, like our intensive bed mm, system mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. mainly sprinklers, like using the wobbler style sprinkler, but on our sandy soil, that means we could be watering like every other hour pretty much. And it, uh, just doesn't sink in as, as well. And so our intensive bed production has had to be like, like really specialized and, and really small in general, because we just can't afford to use that much sprinklers. Whereas like the drip on the big field production is, is a totally different. And then the same thing in the strawberries, like we do strawberries on the big 300 foot beds as well. And yeah, I've never thought about doing lettuce. That's a very interesting way, especially because the first year you're not getting that, that huge yield that you want out of the strawberries and to be yeah. able to another crop off of it would be great. Yeah. Well, we only run the, our strawberries for one year. We do annual bed system, although that is starting to change. We've been talking to some of the bigger strawberry growers and while the annual bed system is quite productive, they're telling us we could get even a multiple of that yield if we start to go to, you know, multiple year um, matted row. So um, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do it, but um, we're starting to look at those systems. And, but yeah, that first year when you have that establishment, there's all that wasted time in the fall. We're almost wondering, can we plant in the the pathways for that too? Like typically we put it down to a, we straw that, but my question is what could we plant in the fall that we might be able to harvest um, while the crop is still establishing? So we haven't quite gotten there yet, but it's always, always on the mind. I always forget that you're lucky to do fall establishment for us. It's mostly spring establishment. So that's why we yeah. don't see that huge yield. And we see that the second year is where the, the biggest yields are for us yeah. and strawberries. But yeah, that's a great idea. Well, so interestingly, you can't do a fall establishment because I know there are Canadian growers that do it. I think there are. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are, but, uh, with, with, uh, kind of our organic regulations and, uh, we're not, able to buy in strawberries that uh, are certified organic. So we have to wait a 12 month traditional, like our transitional phase. So we plant a bare root strawberry. We've got to wait 12 months until it's organic. So we can't even really harvest uh, off that first year. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So there, there's that aspect. And then also like most of the strawberry production um, is either on the, the West coast on like the Fraser Valley or in Ontario. And they just don't supply relatively smaller scale producers they're more set up for like the really really big production yeah machine. yeah yeah gotcha okay, and that's that kind of where sense. we're making that gap with our website and our supplies for more of the smaller scale growers yeah 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 so you might be able to get to the point where you're able to buy in quantity because i bet you could establish your own mother plants and start taking clips um cuttings off of them but the problem is, is that's that type of farming to, to set up a farm to produce mother plants uh, or tips is quite the, quite the, the, the work it's, it's pretty intensive. Yeah. And there's also the licensing and those type of agreements yeah. that got to get in place too. So yeah. I think, I think Albion, which is our favorite strawberry is coming up here really close to their patent running out. So uh, uh, okay. hopefully in the next couple of years here, it might be more available. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thriving farmers listeners. Are you putting a ton of time and money into making your Shopify or Wix work for your farm's needs? These website builders work great when you're selling t-shirts, but for a spring plant sale or CSA share over a season, it's a lot of work and can get pretty expensive. That's why farmers like me decided to come together and build GrownBuy, a cooperatively owned farm sales platform that fits our business model, reduces our costs, and saves us time. 
I'm Lindsay Lusher Shu, co-founder of Grown By and Farmer. This year, we used Grown By at my farm to sell CSA shares, cheese and egg shares, turkeys at Thanksgiving, fall lamb, seasonal pies, and quite a bit more. We even accepted donations for our subsidized community shares. Grown By is our complete farm store. It processes payments, beautifully handles proration, installment payments, manages custom orders, and add-on shares. Grown By generates pick lists, sign-in sheets, packing sheets, and handles order notifications for our customers. Listeners to the Thriving Farmers podcast get 50% off their first three months on Grown By. Just email us at grow, G-R-O-W, at farmgenerations.coop to get this offer, and Michael will link to us in today's show notes. You can find us at grownby.com or on the Google Play or Apple App Stores under Grownby, G-R-O-W-N-B-Y. I look forward to seeing your farm on Grownby this season. Um, talk to us through a little bit, um, cause you have another business, you have a new business, you're all cultivate hort. Talk us through a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Um, most people f- talk about farm succession and it's mostly old people passing it down to a younger generation, but, um, our farm kind of jumped a generation. My father didn't get access really to the farm. Um, even though he was enrolled for soil sciences and before it was really a sexy kind of field. Yeah. Um, but he followed my grandfather's footsteps into carpentry and construction. And, and now looking at it, he wants to retire out of that industry and and move on to the farm. And so we've been looking at ways of how do we structure this family farm for more long-term success? So we're actually like this middle jump in succession. So, um, part of that was like, my parents have a particular lifestyle, um, and like being in construction and being high end, there's certain aspects that we need to figure out so that they can live a comfortable retired life. And so we looked into tools and technology. Um, and like, I really love talking to people about farming and the agrology side of things. I'm a professional agrology, or I will soon be a professional agrologist, um, in BC here, um, to allow me to do consulting. But my father has always been a tinkerer. He fixes our BCS tractors. He made that plastic mulch layer. He's figured out math on building things. And, and so we looked into how do we incorporate that? And so we've started, we started looking at caterpillar tunnels and, and when we looked at bringing in farmers, friends up into Canada, it just didn't financially make sense to us. And Mm -hmm. we looked into manufacturing our own, um, and we designed it to better suit our climate. We had a lot of other people's kits kind of come down in wind and snow events. And we wanted Mm -hmm. to make something that was going to be longer term on our farm, but also meet some of the needs because we are growing like tomatoes and cucumbers in in these kind of caterpillar tunnel styles. And we've been, we'd done it with PVC hoops for many years and we've finally upgraded into more of a metal structure that sheds the snow really well. It's got really tall sidewalls so you can really maximize right to the edge of the bed. I don't have to worry about hitting my head because it's like a eight foot high wire. Um, which is really good for growing yeah, cucumbers in, in the mm-hmm, summer there mm-hmm. when you don't really need a heated space. And so we've, we looked into that, that market. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited that it's kind of a joint thing with me and my father. And, and we're looking at how we can expand that to kind of keep the family farm successful long-term. And, uh, we just recently also got distri- distribution rights, uh, for Clipper systems in Canada. So we're okay. now yep. the Clipper Clipper distributor for the whole country, which is 
pretty amazing. Um, yeah. I've, I've been in chats with Cora. As soon as I saw his original videos, I was like, we got to try this out. And we've been doing it for three or four years on our farm. And we love it. And all the local farmers that go in and order some with us mm -hmm, every year, mm -hmm. um, they love it too. So we're really excited to be offering this product to other growers across Canada. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so then with this new business, you'll be doing like a horticulture consultation and then also providing equipment. Yeah. So I do some consulting work with like setting up farms for like farm business and then specific like agronomy kind of questions like they've got a problem with their strawberries and there's a disease. How can we kind of mitigate those type of um, situations? Um, and I've done flower work and vegetable work, um, both commercial and hobby growers. Like I really love talking to people. And so I, I get called out for um, public speaking events and doing webinars and stuff across a bunch of different topics. I've got one uh -huh. coming up here shortly about diversified farm business management, which really falls in a lot of other farmers are kind of curious on how we make mm -hmm. this all work. So um, I, I really love the educational side and I fell in love with it when I was in university. Um, my first year studies, one of the professors pulled me aside and said, hey, I want you to come guest lecture in my urban agriculture course because I think other people don't know that they could kind of start a farm just in their backyard, don't need a lot of money, don't need a half a million dollar combine. Uh, mm -hmm. we can, you can just kind of get started doing small microgreens or vegetables. And, uh, that's kind of where I got comfortable. So throughout university, I've been doing lectures and, um, now I'm just kind of expanding on that. And then the tool side, my dad, my, like, I'm, I'm pretty lucky that my uncles, um, are also engineers that can really think through robotics and computers. Um, one's looking into like facial recognition software to have a garlic planter, be able to flip the cloves around so they're right uh -huh. side up and another one helping me out with more like climatic control stuff for greenhouses and the electrical components and the computer chip side and then my dad with his more physical construction knowledge on how to put things together and 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 that side of things um yeah we've we've built hand planting tools like our we call them planting pistols mm -hmm. um, they're kind of like a modified california strawberry planter but for okay. transplant production yeah and they really help us with like um with our wrists over the course of the season yes. if you're plant, like yeah. we transplant bush beans so we're planting bush beans at three inch on on uh, center 300 yeah. foot beds if you're doing that over and over and over again um, and so it was actually kind of designed by a neighbor who came by with a, a railroad tie and a piece of wood. She zap, zap strapped together. And that was kind of the thought of it. And since then we've kind of developed them out and our crew fights over the different pistols. So, uh, we've got like yeah. strawberry, more strawberry planting types. And then we've got ones for different size cells as well. So, um, between like a 200 cell or a 128, um, when we're planting. Yeah. Them. So we're just really excited to be offering these other tools to other farmers and, and hopefully we can make a business of it. So my father can kind of retire and be more full-time on the farm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. And I know I, we've, we have looked into like those kinds of planting things and we found that they are way more productive than hand planting. And, they, and, and the biggest thing I think you just said that's important is the strain on yourself is being able to take that strain off is super important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, then do you envision, how do you envision splitting, splitting your time? Because obviously the farm is busy. Yeah. Um, well, we're working through that because the farm's always been busy. It's always been growing. 
I'd say the last three or four years since I got out of university, we've almost doubled production every single year. Um, that's wow. when I really feel like the business started, even though to give yeah. my parents and grandparents and every family member and everyone that's helped me out along the way, when we were doing this from, when I was in university, 1200 kilometers away. Um, the business really has expanded since I've been able to be full-time for the first time on the farm. And yeah. uh, with this company, it's really in its baby growing stages right now. Like we've already got Caterpillar Tunnel orders and we're doing some custom designs for a couple clients. Yeah. Um, and so we looked at it also as a way to like spread out our labor. And so I can keep my managers around. I can kind of lay them off yeah. from the farm and move them into the other company so they can work throughout the winter where we're not doing a lot of vegetables. And so I, I think long-term um, that's going to really work out well with like our hiring for the farm. It's like, Hey, you don't have to just get laid off for three or four months in the winter. You can come join this and manufacture some tunnels. And yeah. we've kind of worked it out that as long as we've got the inventory and we've got materials made, there won't actually be a lot of physical work going on during the cropping season because we can produce a lot of frames in a very short period of time with our benders and our equipment that we've, we've yeah. purchased. Um, and so we just need a stockpile. And then essentially when an order comes in to be able to like, oh, this order needs so many ribs and so many arches and these, this number of bolts. And I'm a pretty big Excel spreadsheet nerd. So I've already got a chart thing gone out. So if someone sends me an inquiry, it, it categorizes all of the different items that we need and it'll be kind of more of a quick plug and play kind of situation. And that's what we're hoping for. Obviously there's nuances that we will not see coming. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited. I, I, I'm, uh, yeah, really looking forward to, to another challenge because, um, you typically give the busiest people the most tasks and they always seem to get it done is what everyone said about my mother. Yeah. And I feel to a certain extent that this is happening to me too, but, um, like I said, hopefully in the next couple of years, we can build out this other company to the point that my dad will feel comfortable retiring from construction and, and join us more full time. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, what is your favorite tool on the farm? I got to have to give you three and I wrote these down in a head right. time because I knew these were coming. Yeah. Um, I got to say anything with an engine. So that's like our tractor, our BCS, the Tillmore, any of our vehicles, we just would not be successful without it. I just, I think about moving hay bales or augering in greenhouse posts for concrete or just tillage or, or yeah, moving supplies. It just, the tractor and the BCS and, and anything with an engine is really important. Um, for field, I've got uh, affinity to my six row cedar. I mm -hmm. bought it used from a farmer years and years and years ago. And it was a huge upgrade from our earthway at that time. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty finicky, but it works really well in our soil. Um, but since I'm not doing the direct seeding as much, um, I'm kind of getting pushed out by the Jang we trialed last year. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, uh, I've never had a Jang for nine seasons. And uh, yeah, so Tom's kind of taken over the Jang side of things. And then the greenhouse, I just got to say clipper because yeah. there is, we, we, paid like they're a lifetime investment they're not cheap but we pretty much paid for them just alone the first year by the cleanup costs we thought about mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. time to take those little plastic clips off and and cucumbers and tomatoes like our tomatoes get over 20 feet long and how many clips and just to yeah. go from that into 
spending only 20 minutes, one person, 20 minutes to clean up a whole hundred foot bed of tomatoes that are 20 feet long in and out done. It's, it's phenomenal, which used to take us like four people, four hours to do something like that because you sit there and you pick and prod. So I would say, I'd say those are my three, my three favorite things. And and like the phone and everything's great, but uh, yeah, engines, my six row and my clippers. Yeah. 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 I would have to, we used to like the six rows our favorite, but I think we've gone to the, the earth way, sorry, not the earth way. No, never go to the earth way. We've got to the Jang. Um, and the multi-row Jang is where we're at now. So we have a, well, it's a five row. We use it as a three row. Um, and sometimes we'll do the fourth row in there as well, depending on what we're seating. But, um, yeah, we, we set it up. So it does three rows on nine inches and we do our whole system is five rows at nine inches. So up and down a bed is how we run that. So, yeah. And like yeah. looking long-term with our farm and how we hope to kind of expand from our current 10 acres in production to be somewhere closer to 20. Yeah. Um, we're looking at how do we implement putting a Jang or, or similar cedar onto a tractor um, and implementing more cultivation kind yeah. of systems around that. So yeah, no, the Jang is Jang is a pretty amazing tool. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other thing, I think you said you got engaged at Christmas, um, which is awesome. Um, and you're getting a welder in the family. That's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, Emily and I got engaged at Christmas. Things didn't go quite as planned with the whole proposal and whatnot. We yeah. ended up getting sick over Christmas and oh, no. things like that, but yeah. it happened. Um, we've been together for quite a few years. Um, I'm really excited. Last year, she uh, started her own little cut flower trial on the farm. And uh, while it, it put in, we put in a lot of late nights this last uh, year, because she yeah. would work full-time welding and then come harvest in the evenings or make bouquets the night before market. Yeah, um, It was still a pretty amazing time that we got to spend together. And, and hopefully in the future here, she can find her spot onto the farm. And yeah, everyone keeps saying it's great to have a welder in the family, and and I've got a, a list of uh, things for her to fix. I just got to get her a welder on the farm. And yes, yeah, 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 very cool. Um, well, hey, congrats on that, and um, yeah, it's been exciting watching you grow the business over the last couple of years and seeing just how big it's gotten and um, kind of the impact it's having on your community, which is awesome. So, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Michael. Always glad to chat about some plants with you. Absolutely. This podcast is brought to you by Grown By. Join farmers from across the U.S. who are selling direct on the first cooperatively owned sales app, Grown By. You can easily manage CSAs of any scale, organize your spring plant sales, move that freezer meat, or even sell wholesale on Grown By. Farm shops are free to build with lots of inventory options. You can accept credit cards and offline payments, and their pick lists and pack sheets do the job. Customers will get automated notifications on orders, refunds, and pickups. There is no startup fees, no monthly or yearly subscriptions, no additional charge for tech support. The only cost is a small co-op service charge for online processing. However, as a listener of the Thriving Farmer podcast, you get 50% off your first three months of co-op service charges on GrownBuy. Email their very friendly farmer support team at grow at farmgenerations.coop to get this offer. Check it out at grownby.com or download the app on the Google Play or Apple App Stores. Grown by the farmer-owned marketplace. So there you have it, another episode in the books. 
So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.